1: Well, it's nice to be back and we're always back with you daily at least on am eastern time that's two to four p.m eastern on amitv i'm ramia umadhan kelly mcdonald is also here and kel's i'm you know how it is i'm not going to go into my breakfast and lunch routines but i'm thinking of food and i'm wondering if there's something <laughs> you haven't had in a while that you're craving or missing or just you know like hey i haven't had blank for me it was People thai sandwiches. foods Veal
2: sandwich? Oh. oh, let's go with oh. yours first. Uh, that, well, hold on. The veal sandwich is what I was originally going to tell you. Uh-huh. Um, when I spent more time in Toronto, a friend of mine and I used to go for veal sandwiches. But when I know that you said cuisine, Yeah. More of my mother's seafood came to my shellfish that she'd make, uh, which generally was things like scallops, deep fried scallops. She'd do them up nice, but only with the flour and and salt and and garlic and that. Uh, That But the thing I love the most was when she would do lobster and eggs, a rarity, not something I've had a lot. But when people have said, what would your last meal be if you were going to be executed? You
1: said that. Yeah but it what is lobster and eggs uh, have you had it aside from your mom making it though
2: no lobster and no eggs. i wouldn't know it, i'll be honest with you i wouldn't know where else to go get it except i was gonna in nova say nova is it even at a thing aunt's. okay okay i don't think it is somewhere in restaurants now even my aunt ran a restaurant for a long time in yeah. yarmouth nova scotia and i'm not sure it was on the menu but my good heavens it was a dream food. You know, people go after us lobster and steak and, oh yeah. know, uh, no, the delicacy eggs. for me was always lobster and eggs with lots of butter in
1: it. how is the egg uh, made? Well, it... scrambled right in okay. there. But
2: I'm going to tell you, it's what made me start eating eggs because as a kid, I didn't like eggs.
1: Oh, my God. I can't even really yeah. talk to you about that point because I love eggs. But yes, for me, it was Thai food. I hadn't had Thai food in a while. Now, for me, a while is anything over like two months, right? Or three oh, months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not yeah. that I, I do take out all the time, but I just start to think like, oh my, it's actually been a while. And then that'll be in my head for another two, three weeks. And then I'm going, you know what? I'm going to order everything, absolutely everything off the menu. But is it m- the
2: peanut oil? Is, what What is it?
1: Yes. It's just the way that Thai food is cooked. It, I think it is the peanut oil, but also I just love Pat Thai. I love any of their, you know, um, apps and things uh but also the the spicy basil fried rice if you get it real spice spicy Mm
3: -hmm. yes it reminds
1: me of you know just having good spicy food Uh, no boundaries no barriers but also no matter what it is uh what has to come on the menu or to my house off the menu is the Thai iced tea which is just full of sugar
2: oh yeah yeah I can imagine I don't think I
1: ever had it I used to go to a
2: place down uh Bloor and uh Where the heck was it? Bathurst in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Can't even think of the name, but I remember once in a while going down there, and you're darn right. Some some nice food. Full of
1: ice and full of condensed milk, like practically a can of condensed milk in there. Hit me. Oh, good heavens. And we
2: know how you guys uh, at home are with that stuff.
1: Yep. Absolutely love it. Just eat it with a spoon right out the can. (laughs) Let's see what else is coming up on today's show. Well, this is not going to be part of the advice, but nutritionist Julia Karanches during our chat is going to talk about healthy habits to keep our immune system strong this winter.
2: Yeah, not not your last one, right? No. 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 We learned today about the International Blind Cafe with founder Jason Reynolds, who joins us. It provides support, advocacy, and training to anybody in the community who needs it.
1: Lovely. Also, we have Voices today. It's a monthly segment. Today, Danielle McLaughlin is going to join us and she'll talk about a lot of her career she's done a lot Just that's it oh, yeah. that's all we can really say because we're gonna get all into it in hour two talking consumer electronics show quickly at this year's uh, uh ces show in las vegas there's a gadget that spikes the idea behind a coffee maker
2: Ryan Close loves a good cocktail, but he's the first to admit he's a terrible bartender. He came up with the idea of Bartesian. It looks like those coffee makers with the capsules. The capsules come in packs of eight. So, you know, and they're $19.99 each. And so again, each
0: capsule has all the bitters, liqueurs and juices in here in non-alcoholic format.
2: It's relatively easy. Put in the capsule and pick the strength of your drink. The light, mocktail, strong, regular. Then hit the mix button. You pick from 60 recipes, like a Cosmopolitan or a White Sangria. And you're seeing the drink be made
0: and mixed right before
2: your eyes. Bartesian holds up to four different types of liquor. I'm Ed Donahue. Oh,
1: four different types of liquor. That's a start, I guess. Um, (laughs) But I do like the idea of this. I just wonder, you know, is it the booze, the bougiest of us, the bunch, who would purchase it? How many of us are there, really? Like one in 10, one in 20, because I don't know how, what the price point is going to be like, but it sounds, you know, absolutely state of the art. Kind of like. What a, did he
2: say the cups cost? 19?
1: <gasps> did he say? I, I got I, really I must, caught up in I must in, have like, heard that wrong.
2: Because mm. who, why would you, 19? Like, I know it's no. getting more expensive in bars, but it can't be that oh.
1: much. We'll we'll come back and. Maybe. No. Oh, no.
2: You know what? I think that was for eight of them. Eight? That's what it was. For yeah, 20 for bucks? For eight of them. It's, yep. Yeah.
1: Still eight kind of, of unreasonable, costs. I think. But again, it's supply and demand. So the more of us who go out and purchase this thing, the cheaper it'll get, and then I can purchase it. Uh, but yeah.
2: So The more that cool everybody idea. else does the work, we'll <laughs> set it up for you. Cool is it really idea, that though. much cheaper if you look at eight of them? Like that's not even, that's 60 cents. I mean, it's page? obviously not
1: the price of a cocktail, but if is it less than what you would spend getting the ingredients and making the stuff at home?
2: Sure. Mm. But it sounds it to me, but I don't do that often it's a good anymore than I order. Idea.
1: Yeah. It's a
2: tremendous idea, and I'm certainly sure it's getting lots of use.
1: Well, it's getting a lot of clout, (laughs) that's for sure. In
2: Vegas, for sure. (laughs)
1: Exactly. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we don't have Dr. Danielle Johnkind, our veterinarian, joining us today, but we are going to talk to uh, CEO of Children's Aid Foundation, Mary Beth, about becoming a foster parent and how this helps our communities. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya.
0: Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
1: Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. Question of the day was the cuisine that you miss dearly. You were saying veal sandwiches, Kels. Is this something um, your friend made or you and your friend would go to get?
2: We'd go to get. And this was one of those things that threw me back to, like, my dad's era. They were big on the meatball sandwiches, and he would go on yep. and on about them being on uh, big loaves of bread almost. You'd almost make a sandwich out of a crusty bread. You'd cut it in half, pour all that meatball and sauce that in there. And that sounds not, amazing. Not one of my favorite. No, oh. no, that's too—I'm not a fan of that. That's really? too messy. But the veal, which, again, is something I didn't know how Best much I like. foods are messy. <gasps> veal is so soft and wonderful it's in true. the sandwich. Oh, my good heavens. I love it. Um, you eat that. You're making me miss things bowl. that
1: I haven't even had before. Yeah.
2: I was just going to say, yeah. you're like pining for <laughs> things you've never even had. Hey, <laughs> that sounds great. I could use that. I miss it. Mm-hmm. You've never had it. I could hear your mother now. You've never had it. Settle down. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, let's talk about something very important, very interesting, because so many of us have experienced one way or another um, with the subject matter at hand. January is foster care. Um, recruitment month, and foster parents can make a huge difference in the lives of children in need. Mary Beth Molenkamp, CEO of Peel Children's Aid Foundation, is here to tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges and rewards of becoming a foster parent. Mary Beth, welcome to Kelly and Ramya.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: This is an incredible topic. I'm very interested to see where we go here and lots to talk about it. But let's start first by uh, what is Peel Children's Foundation and what programs do you support?
4: So I'm actually the uh, CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Society. And what we do is we support vulnerable children youth and families um, in our community and make sure that they are safe and well Um, we provide services to ensure that they can remain at home with their families um, work to ensure early help work with community partners um, to really make sure that children and youth are well um, and safe in our community and the peel children's aid society supports brampton Caledon, and the city of mississauga
1: okay Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Um, So with this month being what it is in recruitment and in uh, foster caregiving, who should become a foster parent? And I guess this question is for people who aren't necessarily sure if they want to or if they're equipped or if they understand what it even means to become a foster parent.
4: Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, So, foster caregivers are community members who step forward to help provide care um, for a child or youth in need. Um, And our organization is looking for foster parents who are from a wide range um, of communities. We are, you know, looking for families who can support children um, who are teens, sibling groups, looking for children in uh, looking for foster caregivers who can support um, children with complex needs so say a child who may be dealing with a mental health challenge or be um, dealing with a developmental delay um, and really they're caregivers who step forward who just care for children and youth who want to give back to their community um, and uh, help us you know work towards keeping children safe in our region
2: wow and there's so much uh, there that you know you look at what what people in different positions who want to give back, want to help, want to support, especially children, and make that difference for them. So tell us a little bit more about what is involved both in the approval process and when fostering a child, please.
4: Absolutely. So, I mean, there is a num- there's quite a number of supports for um, a community member who comes forward to be a foster caregiver. There is an assessment process, but sometimes there's a misconception um, that, you know, if you're single or you don't have children, that you can't be a foster right. caregiver. We know that families come in all sizes, and and we want to encourage everybody to step forward. We're looking for people who have parenting experience um, and are able and have some experience working with children who may have some behavioral challenges. But there's a lot of supports um, that we provide for foster caregivers as well. That includes um, robust training sessions, supports from our social workers, child and youth workers, um, and also nurses, um, in terms of really making sure that there's a team around that foster caregiver to ensure that that child or youth um, is supported to the best um, that we possibly can.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Kels.
2: Oh, I was just gonna ask about the supports that as someone who's interested, Approaches says I want to get involved, depending on whatever on different levels. Um, how about the people around them? You, it's wonderful your you guys are seeing into the supports, but I also understand that would probably mean the potential supports they may have that that child will, by extension, obviously have. How yeah, much that's is that a great question.
4: That's a great question. Um, Foster caregivers become an extension of that child or youth network, right? I mean, if we think about it, when a child or youth comes into foster care, it's arguably one of the most difficult times in their lives. And so it's important that we have um, children and youth as much as possible in family-like settings. So foster caregivers, including their children, um, aunts, uncles, often become an extension of that network um, and open up their homes um, and their lives to them as well. so that family network um, and that opportunity for those caregivers to stay connected with that child's family and that child's community is really important in the process as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And is there a part that you notice, uh, you know, through your work, obviously, being the most challenging part? for either the the family or the support systems that you guys provide, the the Children's Aid Society, uh, to the families. Is there a point or a predictable aspect of the most challenging part of becoming a foster uh, parent or family?
4: You know, I think sometimes there's probably just misconceptions on on behalf of foster caregivers thinking that maybe that there won't be those supports, so sometimes people may be not sure if they, you know, can open their home to work with our teams when they see the level of support that's provided, um, that they're, you know, very open and they're not, there are issues that we can can resolve. I mean, I also think that when we talk about children and youth, some of them may be experiencing some behavioural challenges or just trauma in terms of separation from their family. And so supporting foster care caregivers through that process um, and making sure that we are guiding them and giving that support, which we do, um, is also really important and sometimes a concern, um, I think, for caregivers who, who may want to step forward.
1: Yeah, that's really, I appreciate that because you're right, like there's incredible intention and you can, you know, fill yourself uh, up with all kinds of knowledge and, and know that the supports are out there, but there are points where you might feel like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I'm not sure what is... You know what this point means so let's talk about the amazing incredible things that can happen to a child um, when the child is placed with a family a foster family that they feel loved and supported by mm-hmm.
4: You know, when we think about this, and one of the things I want to say is that, you know, children's aid societies um, really work hard to make sure that children can stay in their communities. 99% of our work is actually done keeping children at home, making sure that they have programs and parenting supports to do that. But there are times where there are children and youth who are vulnerable, um, and we need to bring them into, into our care. And we try to do that on a temporary basis. Foster caregivers sometimes are there for a short-term support. They can become extensions of that child's network. Often many of them stay connected, um, act as coach and mentors for that child you know, throughout their lives and, and can integrate with families as well. Um, and so it's really important that we have foster caregivers that can help support that because we all know um, that when we have networks around us um, and when we have supports that we do better. Um, and we see that in our own lives. And that's really important for our children and youth as well.
2: Yeah. Well, it sounds like so many different options. And I think, like you said, some of the I don't want to say myths, but stuff from the past that ways things were done 25, 40 years ago, things we hear about or think, and then question ourselves. But you've got uh, people out there um, so full of love, so full of concern, so willing, and in different circumstances, wanting to take care. There are enough of those conversations once in a while, I'm sure, that are not the pleasant ones. Why? How comes it may not work, or how comes some of the roadblocks that are there may not be dealt with, or moving a child from uh, an area that they've started to grow up and have been used to to somewhere else, but Can you describe how rewarding it can be being a foster parent
4: yeah absolutely you know i think um, for our foster caregivers that ability to give back to the community um, and we always say that it takes a village to raise a child Mm -hmm. right and it's really important for us that community caregivers come forward Um, it's also important that you know our foster caregivers are reflective of our community So, you know, coming from Peel region, which is one of the most diverse regions in Canada, we want to make sure that our foster caregivers are also representative of our communities, right? We know that if we can ensure that children and youth are placed in foster homes that are reflective of their identity, their race, their ethnicity, you know, their sexual orientation, gender identity, that children will be more comfortable um, and they'll feel that connection. And for foster caregivers to be able to see that um, and that reward and to see how a child develops um, and the change and the impact that it can make in their life um, is something that many of them have come back and spoke to us about around that being something that was pivotal for them um, in terms of giving back to their community, but also being able to give back to a child in need.
1: Mary Beth, we asked you like at the top, you know, for people who've been considering being a, a foster parent, what kind of um, things they need to consider and who can really become. How about for people who've never considered it? Um, do you have any you know, words to say or any message to give to people who may be like, I, I don't Mm. think this is for me. Yeah. Or this is the first time they've been exposed to this conversation at all.
4: Absolutely. I think part of that is around what we were, what you were talking about around this um, pre-conception of who a foster caregiver can be, Mm -hmm. right? Some people think that they have to be married, have to have, you know, have children, have to be able to own their own home, those are, not necessar- those are not the case, right? And so I think sometimes people sort of self-select because they feel like maybe they don't have the experience. Um, but what I would encourage them to do is to contact us um, and to speak with our amazing team um, because they'll really be able to talk about what supports are there um, and uh, help to be able to provide them with just some things to think about um, around how rewarding it is to, to do this and, and to give back to a child or youth in need.
2: Pretty incredible when you think about what people have seen over the years, Mary Beth, in what maybe uh, foster parents are out there. And I, again, leading to some of those areas of self-doubt of, uh, you know, I don't have a partner, I'm this age, or I'm too young, or I'm too old, whatever those things. I, I don't have grandparents for the child, or my my neighbourhood, there isn't that park over there for the child to run in. There are so many of the things that can fill our minds with that doubt, um, and we miss out, I, I'm sure, at times on The love that's in here right in their heart
4: absolutely Um, there's extensive um, support within our foster parents as well there's a foster parent um, association that provides support to them so there's Mm. that peer um, coaching and mentoring as well Um, so i think when people um, step into it and they see that there is that um, that ability to kind of come together to be able to provide that to challenge some of those um, Preconceived notions that they really find that this is something that they can do. Um, and uh, we're encouraging community members to step forward because um, we do need you. Um, and uh, we're hoping people will consider this um, in terms of a way to give back to the community.
1: Anything particularly about um, Peel Region that you want to point out? Because, you know, the, your, your association is, or uh, the Children's Aid Society of Peel Region probably have you know, a unique set of circumstances that you deal with compared to, let's say, within Toronto or other parts of the greater Toronto area or, you know, pulling out even more around the country.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I often say that Peel Children's Aid is is a bit of a microcosm um, for Canada as well in terms of our diversity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would also, when we think about the demographics of Peel, you know, 50 to 60% of our residents would say that they identify as a newcomer or an immigrant to Canada. And so that is also um, another important area in terms of understanding the newcomer experience and what that looks like for a child. Peel Children's Aid also has Pearson International Airport um, within our our region as well. And so sometimes we do experience children or youth um, where there might be a concern who arrive into Canada who may be here unaccompanied with no family, um, and we need to consider bringing them into foster care as well. So that is really unique about Peel Children's Aid is that because of that, that we may see children and youth that are not just from our region, that may be from abroad, uh, that may be in need, Um, and so our foster caregivers will also receive some specialized training around how they support, um, understand that newcomer experience, and understand some of the pre- and um, post-migration trauma that children and youth may be experiencing um, who who may come into foster care.
2: Mary Beth, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing with us, explaining a lot of things and kind of helping uh, encourage those out there, especially on this special month um, who who are considering, have wanted to consider or also just allowing us to recognize those who are um, taking care of children, supporting, loving and bringing those wonderful lives to people. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much.
2: That was uh, Mary Beth Molenkamp. CEO of uh, Peel Children's Aid Society, discussing what it means to become a foster parent.
1: After the break, we have nutrition with Julia Karanches. And because it's January, let's continue talking about these healthy habits, specifically when it comes to eating and keeping our immune system strong during the winter. We'll be back with that convo on Kelly and Ramya.
0: Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment.
1: Well, 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 we're in the second half of January 2024 now. (laughs) So we're still keeping tabs on our intentions for the month, for the year, building these good habits, getting rid of bad habits, you know, just practicing a lot of different things. And I know, I know not everybody buys into this stuff, but still the conversations continue on Kelly and Ramia in these veins. So let's continue with that with Julia Carranches, our nutritionist.
5: Hi, I'm Julia Koranchis. Join me on Kelly and Remya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle.
1: And Julia, this conversation is more uh, like seasonal, so we don't even necessarily have to peg it as a new year convo. If we're chatting about healthy habits to keep our immune system strong this winter. excellent.
5: Yeah, I, I did make it seasonally specific. Mm-hmm. Winter is here now, more officially, in my opinion, because we now have snow and the temperatures are getting worst. very low. Yeah, I mean, they dropped re- really quickly. Um, you know, And with that comes a lot more time inside for people and a lot more time inside with larger groups. You know, instead of going to the park or doing things outside, you're going to museums or things that are inside or inside parties, inside gatherings, inside family dinners. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more people gathering inside. And with that comes a lot of circulating germs. And therefore, you know, there's an experienced increase in colds and other respiratory issues. So today we're talking about some things to do daily that will help give your body a fighting chance. We have talked about these things before at one time or another, but today we're going to condense just a few of them and maybe you might find one that resonates with you that you might easily incorporate into your day.
1: Yeah, when you say indoors and inside, I think of car rides and such as well. You know, like now yeah. we got everything coming back, our Uber shares and and all of yeah. these things. And you're getting inside with uh, b- people on buses and well, all yeah. this other stuff. Yeah, a lot stuff. more bus riding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Lot,
5: yeah you, don't, I mean, you don't want windows to walk outside when it's minus
1: 10 and your
5: face oh. hurts.
1: Exactly. Like, so, you know. Yeah, and you're not necessarily so, keeping your windows open. So exactly, these the circulations it, have closed. Yes. <laughs> um, how many yes. habits are you going to talk about today, Julia?
5: I'm only going to talk about four. Okay. Uh, four things that you, you could do. One, you could do two, three, or four daily that will help to ward off illness this winter. The first one is really basic. We talk about it all the time. Every time I make a list about wellness, it's usually on the list.
2: Mm, let's think, see. Um, I, let me guess. Does it have to do with water?
5: Yeah, it's your favorite thing to bring up. I love yeah. that, Kelly. I yeah, knew it. it good. Does. All right. But, and I, I, you know, it's fun when we talk about water. We can, like, talk about different mechanical things that are happening in the body and so it's not just a blanket statement of water is so great specifically yes you want to stay hydrated because it helps with the immune system in regards to keeping the lymphatic system circulating so the 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 lymph is the fluid that surrounds the body's tissues and in this fluid are vitamins, nutrients, right? This fluid acts like a transporter in the body. So when mm-hmm. it's circulating, it's carrying, for example, in this case, immune system cells. So it is really important to stay hydrated for the immune system. And yeah. so, yes, yeah, stay hydrated. I mean, and maybe that's yeah. tea, maybe that's water, maybe that's... Um, broth? You know,
2: well, yeah, broth, it, it, bone broth. It's kind of absolutely. funny, Julia, because, of course, we have the selection of waters... Oh, that'll dehydrate you. We'll go and say that regardless, but the bottom line is it's all good for you. Maybe, maybe you got to mix it up a little. You can't drink too much coffee or, or tea. You know, it's wonderful, but you do have to be mindful. Um, Nothing like that. You know, God's greatest gift, water.
5: Yeah. Just water. It's so, it's so great. And if you have to flavor it, flavor it, but Mm. it's important. It's important.
1: And it's not just, again, these are things that you're saying, keep it going on the daily, not just when you're sick, amp up your water intake. Or right exactly.
5: So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, these things, you know, in my world, in the holistic nutrition world, we we do chat a lot about preventative measures mm-hmm. as opposed to the curative ones. I mean, there's lots of things we can do when we are sick, but what we want to do is keep our bodies healthy and strong to prevent. Yep. prevent the illness from setting in
1: okay cool so what else can we do
5: well we've talked about the benefits of fermented food before and how they help supply our body with good bacteria which we need for our immune system so the good bacteria is actually very supportive of our immune function and so another habit to get into would be to eat one maybe more fermented foods a day um this obviously is different based on your taste buds uh here it comes from here it comes yep i'm trying to be i'm trying to be gentle on this one uh kefir (laughs) is a really watery yogurt makes a great addition to a breakfast you can use it as a topping on oatmeal or as like a milk alternative you could have cereal with kefir or granola you could eat it that way um obviously drinking kombucha would be perfectly acceptable or adding a spoonful of sauerkraut to your plate or kimchi so i personally i'm very sensitive to spicy foods and so i find kimchi a little too spicy for me so i you know i don't do that one but i like sauerkraut and i like kombucha so that's kind of where i hang out but we know Mm -hmm. that these fermented foods could have a bit of a unique taste so i do encourage people to try a couple of them you know, if you ate so, something and you didn't like it, it doesn't mean that you wouldn't like something
2: else. I, I like how there's different ways you can, especially the kefir, um, which yeah. I have not tried. Somebody at one point, <laughs> funny enough, it's so familiar, and it seems like yesterday, made me go after kombucha. It was like a homework assignment. I I, <laughs> I remember that happening somewhere. Not sure I remember where. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Julia, I, you know, I, I've never thought of the sauerkraut, but so many of these things... I love the fact that you can do the different things with them because we need that help encouraging. But you say spice for yourself could be that kind of something you got to be sensible. But we have talked as well on the program um, about some of the health benefits of the spices out there. Could adding some of that to our cooking help us as well in this case?
5: Yeah. So spices like ginger and garlic, for example, have antiviral benefits. So trying new recipes or dishes that have these spices in it is a great idea. Or perhaps, you know, maybe you really like mint tea, but maybe ginger tea could be your new Uh, habit instead. So not only are you staying hydrated, but you're consuming ginger, which is a great spice for the body. Um, And so you know, this could be your new winter habit. I have a habit of always doubling the amount of garlic <laughs> that a recipe says to use. Heck that yeah. I, I, and yeah, so I always, I mean, if it says three cloves, I am definitely adding six. Oh my gosh. Um, wow.
1: That, Girl after no, my own I heart. Just so good.
5: Like it. So I just double it. And then, and especially in the winter when I'm sick, I thought, okay, well, you know, you can't go wrong. Yeah. I'm just going to add a bunch of garlic. But I also like the flavor of garlic. Of and the then garlic. just. Just yep. scooching back to your previous comment, Kelly, about kombucha, you know, I've actually had a lot of kombuchas and I don't love them all. There's mm-hmm. a couple of no. brands that I now learn and flavors even that I like. I mean, I've had a ginger kombucha and whew, I mean, that really stayed with me. But then I've had, you know, more, more gentle flavors and I really enjoy them. So, you know, de- depending on the brand and or the flavor, again, I think I just could like be a the trial and error thing yeah you know, like non- yeah. flavored.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, i i tend to like that but i would want to drink it more than i'm willing to pay for it you know, like i do enjoy it and well I go, oh, right is good
5: yeah so maybe you know drinking a ginger tea from a tea bag every day is it just makes more sense i i mean it makes, yeah. i like it i i'm a tea drinker so it's a habit that i can mm-hmm. get into especially in the winter i don't totally love drinking cold drinks
2: when yeah. it's cold yeah 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 exactly oh and and again i think it's okay changing that up isn't it if you particularly say come november <clears throat> through april i'm drinking the ginger tea but there's that kind of thing that comes in whether it's the spice i mean you i think you're covered with the spices but just to change any of these up for for people that feel well to do it every day sometimes we make out that that's so hard to do
1: i yeah starts it, feeling I monotonous know, do. Mm-hmm. yeah it could
5: get monotonous i, I mean some you know, maybe today you're having a ginger tea. Tomorrow you're having sauerkraut with your sausage. The next day you're trying kefir. The day after, you're just making it a habit of getting 10 cups of water a day, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not worried about the tea or, you're not worried about the keeper if you're out and about and it's not happening. But just to be mindful that, you know, there's things that you could incorporate into the day that would be really helpful for the body.
1: Exactly. And even with the water, as you said, right off the top, there's more than one way to get the water in you, mm. right? You're not just having to yeah. chug eight liters a day or something like that, whatever the well, recommendation and sometimes
2: is. Sometimes some of that is to do it better early, like water especially. I know and as much as I day, love water, I don't yeah. drink it as much yeah. as I used to because if you end up putting other things in there... You get full, you don't think, and I don't ever, you know, thirst, like, oh, my gosh, I need, and it, it's it's a thought, and I know others feel the same about certain things, and I think you've got to make it part of a regime, uh, whatever yeah. you're using, and and just not think too much about it, not try to let yourself get sick of it, mm-hmm. but also don't think too hard, no, oh, I have yeah. to do that today, or look the for pressure. that thing you like that kills you eating it, you know, or having it, yeah. oh, I love it until you it until you do it 10 times in a row.
5: Yeah, you don't want it to feel like a a chore. But it's if you're not if you're a tea drinker, maybe you go the tea route. If you know you're a granola and yogurt eater, maybe you know then you're I trying with the so you, you Yeah, you just try to, you know, figure out what would blend into your routine that doesn't feel like it's something that you have to do.
2: Um and for Mondays,
1: Julia, we're gonna we have one more habit we want to get to, and this is a really easy one for the winter. But before that, you talked about spices. I'm just curious about curious about heat like, spicy, hot food. Yeah, like cayenne. Uh, yeah, exactly, like peppers yeah. and all that stuff. Do you—is there any benefit to that during the winter? I'm thinking more, like, anecdotally, we Sri yeah. Lankans eat a lot of hot food during the winter and say, yeah. like, we're sweating it out. Whatever's in you is about yeah, to come so, out now. So warming and grounding. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I
5: think, you know, instinctively, people— do eat seasonally and you don't, you know, in the summer, you're having a salad that feels cool in the winter. We're having a lot more hot food, but then we're adding those Mm -hmm. really warming spices onto it. Like, you know, the spices that are actually increasing the, you know, the spice level of the meal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I do do think so. Yeah. I think so too.
1: Okay. Uh, One more, the last thing that you want to us to continue working on with good winter immune boosting habits. Get in the habit of taking the vitamin D. It is
5: as important as you probably have heard. We aren't outside as often for as long in the winter. And when we are, we're very covered up. Our skin is not exposed. And so we're not getting a lot of vitamin D, if any vitamin D from the sunlight. Um, And this is really interesting. StatsCan collected blood samples of over 10,000 people between 2016 and 2019, and the results stated that 49% of men aged 20 to 39 had insufficient levels of vitamin D, and that same cohort of females was a little bit behind them at 38%. Um, So You know, having insufficient levels is a real, I don't want to say the word threat. That sounds so looming, but it's a real possibility because we can see now that, you know, there's lots of people that don't have enough because it is hard for us to get it from the sunlight and the climate that we live in. And, you know, the great thing about vitamin D is that it comes in so many forms it comes as a pill, it comes as a soft gel. And if you don't want to swallow something, you can get it as a dropper and, you know, literal drops. Uh, where you probably wouldn't even notice it on your tongue, and if you, that is also not, you know, a, a method that you want to go with, there's also a spray, um, and the sprays obviously sometimes have flavor as well, and so you know, one spray, and then you you know, it's like a medicated dose. You know that that's you know, 500 IU's or 1,000 IU's of vitamin D per spray, and it's pretty direct. And so, the nice thing about the vitamin D is there's a lot of different ways to take it. And so if you are you somebody that's you particular You can't overdose it,
2: on that really either, can you? Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? I
5: mean, not in the, no. So in, not like in Canada, some others. You know, we're not selling pills of 10,000 units where it, it might be a bit of a problem. Yeah. There's still lower doses, you know, that we're selling. And I, I think a lot of doctors are also on board with this now and recommending to a lot of patients to take their vitamin D. And so there's so many different ways to take it. Liquid pill, gel, gummy, you could chew it like a gummy
1: that's when you start overdosing because you eat the whole bag. Yeah. That's right, a hundred percent. So good, Julia. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys.
2: No wait, homework wait. for Rumya? Yeah? The homework: oh, uh, well, eat more it vitamin like there D gummies, be. drink more water. Yeah, that. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'll yeah. try drink more water.
2: and kombucha. Will you go try kombucha again for real this time?
1: Good. I did. It was nice. Julia Garantis is our nutritionist. She joins us. She's not just our nutritionist. She's a nutritionist and she joins us every other week. Today we're talking about immune boosting habits to uh, help us get through the winter and hopefully prevent getting all kinds of sick. After the break we're going to learn about the International Blind Cafe with the founder Jason Reynolds and this is a facility that provides it's not really a facility but an organization a community that provides support advocacy and training to anybody in the blind low vision community who needs it. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya.
0: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI TV. <laughs>
1: Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and your favorite podcast platform available on demand whenever you want to listen to us. Kels, I was telling you over the break about uh, savory yogurt drinks, because that's a thing as well. A lot of uh, South Asian communities indulge in basically drinkable yogurt, but the yogurt, plain yogurt, is mixed with salt and pepper, and I don't know what else they put in there, some kind of acid, I think. Um, And it's served warm.
2: Oh, really? Usually. Well, that would yeah. make sense, especially when you make something savory like that. Yeah. I would think so, anyway. It doesn't I, taste I...
1: like steak.
2: No? No. Well, as soon as you said savory, that's why I thought, oh, maybe it's like chicken it's steak. It's like,
1: imagine making a lobster, marinade, lobster like a, yeah. yeah, on the yeah. side. Yeah, imagine making like a savory marinade with the yogurt, but Could you, you just it drink it.
2: Because there are some great foods with meat yeah. dishes, with like a yogurt, a lot of exactly, Indian yeah. food. Exactly, Exactly. Right? So could, would you would you use it in that application?
1: Yes, but in this yeah. case, what I'm talking about, you just drink the marinade. I'm not, I don't think I'm making this sound very appetizing, but I promise you it's good. Well, when you say marinade, I just keep getting it in my mind. Oh, you can throw meat. that on like as a, chunks yeah, of beef yeah, or, in your yogurt. Or, or
2: th- exactly, or throw it at least on chunks of meat, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, you like could like do a, that, you know? exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that's a thing. Anyway, we're gonna talk about a really cool initiative now um, and the founder of this really cool initiative as well. After suddenly losing his vision, Manitoba resident Jason Reynolds started a uh, organization. It's called the International Blind Cafe, and this is a self help and advocacy organization that covers everything from book clubs to online classes and braille training Uh, there's over 1600 members now and the group is obviously just based on that number had a huge impact on the blind low vision community so jason reynolds is here now to join us tell us how uh the group is run how it inspired his journey but also how it inspires everybody else out there who's involved jason nice to have you on the show Thank you for having me. And we've talked about you and about the International Blind Cafe several times on the show over uh, years with our community reporters like Julie Martin and Tony Freimark. So we're really excited to have you on finally. Can you give us some background on yourself, just to give us the idea of how you got here um, to create the International Blind Cafe?
6: Well... um... I I was never prog- I've never had the prognosis of going blind. So when I suddenly went blind about four and a half years ago, I, I struggled because uh, I found there was a lack of hands-on right away resources for the blind, and especially for all of a sudden going blind where you never learned about it growing up or anything. Because I was like I said, I, there was no prognosis of ever going blind. I I had a full career in in, in the transport industry, as a matter of fact, and so. Uh, dabbled in Facebook a bit and stuff like that. And as, as the pandemic kind of happened and the lockdown and the the solitude and then not knowing, I was never a big texter in the first place. um, I decided to create a Facebook group where we, we talked to each other rather than texting Mm -hmm. and and it kind of snowballed from there. The Facebook group kept growing and growing and, and this, the way it was touching people's lives and just developing. and then the ideas from the other people became a collaborative of ideas. And eventually it's led to we we do um, through through Hadley in the states, we we help present their material and do group learning like group study groups of uh, where we're learning Braille. I never thought I'd learn braille but I started in September and we're having a lot of fun doing that and sharing of resources from all over North America and and, and the world so wow it's, it's basically become a community of resources and we've moved over to Discord as Facebook has changed their parameters and right. it's just
2: continuously growing it's it's quite the amazing adventure it's amazing when you um When people are in a position of of yourself, and as soon as that happens, you're told by medical people, this is what's happening to you, sorry, you know, and then you just think, is there support? What do I do? What's my next step? And it's pretty amazing sometimes (laughs) there just isn't. There isn't the push or the doctors telling you where where to go, who do you contact, how things happen. But sometimes some of us, even within the community, you could come and speak to people who have vision loss or uh, have been blind all their life or maybe relatively new as well. But I think sometimes it's just not the right venue to feel supported or like you relate. You kind of even feel sometimes more isolated when people say, hey, man, sorry, sorry about that. Hey, you want to come out and do this and that because they're speeding ahead for you. So with this stuff going on, with the pandemic, with where you guys are now, I just want to reel things back just a little bit that as you got the idea, I want to get more people together. I want to get talking. Um, I'm sure a lot of it was conversation, supportive for yourself. But then these programs start to happen. How did that kind of unfold in in the way of conversations and ideas, and someone simply say, "Man, I need to learn Braille." Tell us about that, Chase.
6: One one of the ladies in the group decided to. She she we talked about Braille. And I'm like, oh never. I'm I'm too old. I can't do that. Like I've always been a, a hands. We're working with my hands. I thought I was I was beyond that, and with the assistive technology. So one of the ladies in the group was. She went and got to have through the Hadley program and started doing it, and then thought, "Oh, it'd be great to learn with other people." So they started getting together, and it just started blossoming like that. Mm. Like, if this is and, and so we've actually set up a space on our Discord server server where it's the little Braille Schoolhouse, and we've well, got nice. four or five four or five of our members that spend a couple hours a week, each of us helping present lead the lead these study groups. That's what we'll call them study groups mm-hmm. of five or six people learning Braille. And they're from Canada, the United States. Got a gentleman from India learning and Hadley ships their books around the world. And it's it and just it's been spontaneous like that. Um yeah, and we share tips about how to use our white canes and and like when I first went blind, it was information overload. Like there's just, yes, the, the, the organizations here, like they came to my house and they gave me this big pile of stuff. Oh, this is all for you. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's great. That's awesome. And then the day before my first cane, my first cane lesson lockdown. So oh. I learned cane, I learned cane by zoom. So I figured I can learn
2: braille by zoom too. So, Wow! Wow! Jason, can you talk about the other partnerships or or things like Hadley? Like, I'm I'm sure for them, you know, their business, their organization, but to see uh, this potentially many people realizing being aware of their services, um, you, that's got to be great for them. But any other things groups have formed and have partnerships where you're receiving stuff or working with you on the education piece? Um, some of the
6: a couple of the ORCAM ambassadors do presentations with, with the ORCAM I um, thing, where that, that ORCAM reader. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's quite a few people that are advocates through some of the other programs, the NFP, the CNIB, and so we kind of like to pool our resource together. The, the biggest education piece though is, is the braille. Right. And then just drawing our resource together with. Just what we've learned from the different institutions we've learned our cane training and our dog we get got dog users too yeah just the tips and tricks and the way we share the ideas and the, the way we deal with snow in, in manitoba versus the way we deal with slush <laughs> and in in um, like virginia for example
2: yeah 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 it, it i find it very interesting because it seems to be what you're saying everyone's experience you come from Suddenly losing your vision, life totally changing. You have other, but there does seem to be a, un, um, not even uniform, but your group seems to have its own methodology of supporting, being able to be there, the, the, the using Discord, um, down to the education and the, the, the bonding that people who get involved, um, that you guys have found that little way of supporting, being able to laugh, cry, teach, everything. Oh, for sure.
6: We do cooking
2: presentations. There's lots of
6: us that I, I live independently and I'll share how I cook everything from scrambled eggs to a, a steak to another guy who does a lot of um, Southern barbecue and he'll mm. share how he does that. Like we, we really want to encourage independent living amongst, amongst the visually impaired. And a big one is for me is we've got to be out there. We've got to be seen like what you guys do. We're we're, we're being seen. We're not invisible, and that's very important to me. Yeah, and in, independent living—like we, we're, we're here and we're not going away. And and we can do it. We're more than our blindness.
1: And doing it in a way that's really about peer support, about um, understanding that people might be challenged or uh, struggling in current phases and stages of their journey with disability, but also that there's—you know—you'll find somebody in here in this group who can relate to you, can help you with that leg up and the resources. I'm curious, when it comes to running something like this, especially because it's growing you know, exponentially, it seems, Jason, uh, are there rules, established ways of participating in the group that maybe weren't there when you started the group but now have to be considered because of just purely numbers or even just, you know, uh, sub-talks and... Um, uh, places where you're like, Hey, we're meeting for this thing today and that thing tomorrow and different people running different things.
6: Um, yeah. Cause I, one of the things I have free speech and be able to speak your mind and be who you are. And it's, uh, as the group has grown, like, yeah, we got to be able to speak your mind, but be respectful of others. So a structure has formed and we mm-hmm. do have a list of about eight or nine rules and we we, we call them guidelines. Cause we're not going to throw anybody out for for pushing at those guidelines because we're people and we have bad days and we get frustrated and in in running it i think we have a team of about 18 people that run it or 16 people that are running it right now and and i couldn't do it without them they're they're all amazing people so and they're then it's also a very diverse group so we're not all Mm single-minded so we've all that helps balance the the, the way we run the, run the, run the group too. So if I'll disagree with something and someone says, well, Jason, you know, I think I'll think of it this way and I'm like, oh, "Ah, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, so it's,
1: well, it's kind of a group yeah, that it's sets it's you up for that as well, right? For disagreeing, for giving, you know, multiple mm-hmm. solutions or offerings for specific kind of challenges. Um, really great. Give us the know-how. How do we get to the international blind cafe? Where do we go to search you guys up and how do we get there?
6: Um, we're on Facebook at the International Blind Cafe. Um, it, it's the International Blind Cafe 18 plus. We okay. we we made it 18 plus just so that we can be ourselves. Okay, perfect. And then we're, we're also on Discord. Um, you can find us on disboard.org. We're listed on the 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 Discord directory. So we're easily, easily locatable. And then on our Facebook page, the link is there on a regular basis. So.
1: Well, Jason, it's been lovely mm-hmm. to have you on to give us, uh, you know, more insight on this group that you run. And obviously, we've heard enough testimonials that it's going really well. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Thanks, Jace. No, you're very welcome.
6: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Anytime, We were speaking with Jason Reynolds, the founder of the International Blind Cafe, talking about this accessible support and advocacy platform on Facebook that you can search up and be part of if you're part of the blind and low vision community. In the next hour of Kelly and Ramia, we have our Voices segment. Danielle McLaughlin, who usually joins us for Know Your Rights, is going to hang out with us during that chat. We'll learn a little bit about her career. Also, Young Wong is going to join us and talk about um, a racially uh, exploited hate crime that she experienced recently while riding public transit. Uh, but after the break, we have a community report with you, or for you, with Tony Freimark. We'll be right back.
0: Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
1: Welcome back to Kelly and Ramia on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and on pod. Uh, We're uploading daily on podcasts because we're a daily show here. Weekdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. Kelly McDonald and Ramia Umadhan. Kels, I don't have as many fedoras as you, I don't think. How many fedoras do do you have have anyways? Do you have one? No, I don't have any.
2: Oh, okay, so you don't have Uh, any. But I was going to do a comparison Uh, to
1: toques. I've now started to accumulate, like, a ton of toques. Not in my own doing, um, though. I don't go out and fetch toques, but my mom thinks it's... How many How many of them do you have? Oh,
2: mom's been getting those. I was like, so oh, it's a cute toque. I thought ones.
1: you'd like it. Um, and I'm not really a complainer. So with the toques, I like all kinds do you, of tukes. Do
2: you actually for real wear them? Like, Yes, I do. Bulb, and I switch yeah,
1: them out yeah. often. Like during the winter, my, my toque game is pretty on point. Uh, I think I have like eight. I guess that's not too many, but to me, that's a lot. How many fedoras the, do you have? That's a lot, right? I yeah.
2: got rid of some. I believe I'm 32 or... 34 Ooh. now.
1: Okay, so I have the quarter of the amount of fedoras you have.
2: I have a few. <laughs> you have yeah, a few there's more than that, a few. Yeah, there's some that are just for running around, doing stuff because some of them are beat up a bit.
1: I wonder if you can to try to sell any of your fedoras, like the ones that are kind of... <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a Kelly McDonald angle or... Just, you know, because it's a rare edition or something.
2: I'm waiting to see what you're going to say because I know what I'd say. I, no, I, I don't know, man. Like, no, uh, you don't gonna think anybody would buy your I don't think I'd be buying people's fedora. hats or anything like no, that. No, but you're I, selling
1: I just... it to see if other people would buy it. Just try to see. So if I on went Facebook out and bought a new one
2: and just held it in my hands and went on to Facebook, it's a Kelly McDonald you know, fedora. <laughs> okay. But Try when that I've worn sitting angle. here, yeah, exactly. It's like, you well, oh, know, hey. Uh, but no, then for the next
1: so. post, don't do that. You know, just say, hey, rare fedora. And
2: I don't know. I'll go buy like 10 of them and sell them like that then. Just they won't even be put on. Like I'll the, say, the these mass just, selling? These are gently. Broken,
1: gently used, very broken, and only during the summer. Anyway, let's bring on Young Wang. She's a writer, a blogger, and an advocate, and she's going to tell us a little bit about some things going on in her life lately. Young. Hi, I'm Yang Wang. I'm a
3: blogger, disability advocate, and immigrant social innovator. Join me to explore challenges and changes in our community on Kelly
1: and Remia. Yang, we want to get right into it because we only chat with you monthly. And you've had an encounter uh, recently last month, at a Toronto subway station that hasn't left you in uh, the greatest of spirits. So tell us what's happened, and then we can go through what's been going on since then for you.
3: Yes. So on the evening of December 15th, um, the organization and West Learning Connections and Running collaborated with uh, uh, our National Poet Laureate, George L. Clark, and the League of Canadian Poets. And through a poetry music event at the uh, Canadian Music Centre. Uh, it's, it's on uh, St. Joseph Street, downtown. And uh, my eldest son, Eric and I, went there by TTC. Uh, Eric worked as a volunteer bartender assistant that evening. So we left uh, quite late after he helped uh, cleaning up. So it, it was right. around 11 o'clock in the evening. And when we arrived at uh, Wellington Station on the way back, uh, I couldn't find my CNIB card and Presto card. But I remembered I moved them from my jacket to a backpack when uh, after I entered the room. So I thought, oh, I must have lost them uh, in the uh, the Canadian uh, Music Centre. because I walked slowly, so I asked Eric to you know, you go there to check get the cars here. Uh, and I waited for him inside the entrance all by myself. Uh, so it was a it was a small indoor space and uh, was quite brightly lit um and was quiet. nobody else around me there. um then a man came in um he was talking loud but I didn't pay attention to him because I thought he was talking to a phone uh, but then he noticed me and he came up and asked uh, would you mind if I ask what is your nationality well I didn't feel very comfortable by mm-hmm. this question but I thought it, it would be impolite you know not to answer questions so I just said oh Asian and he, he said, oh, Asian, Red Army? Then they continued, you know, to say a lot of racist comments, uh, things like Asians, they're all evil, you know, something like that. And I didn't know what to say, but I was scared. And he stayed there mm. just in front of me, one to two meters away, and kept talking like that. And nobody was around us i i was scared um I, I started you know automatically i started to fold my white can and uh, held it tightly in my hand uh so oh i might use it as a self-defense weapon if i right. had to you bet yeah because i i learned a little bit the self-defense uh, technique uh, at cnib before but uh at the same time i was thinking Oh, would it work? Oh, would it even make the situation worse if I really yeah. use it? Uh, well, I, I never um, had any chance to practice it before. And also, which way would be safer for me? To stay here inside, uh, the space is small but brightly lit, uh, or should I search for the entrance to you know go out onto the street? But it was dark outside and there might not be so many people on the street as well so all these souls you know just running through my mind i um
2: and he's just continuing to give you a barrage of insults uh pardon me and he's just continuing to go on and on insulting you
3: yeah he he just you know say those things. And why I, you know, I was thinking, how am I going to get out of this that situation? Is... I, I didn't know. Uh, and yeah, because I, I couldn't see, right? It gives mm-hmm. really, you know, some disadvantage.
2: And whatever and, you do, point, you know, it could, it could inflame it worse, or the person may have enough to, oh, all right, I guess I'm done here. You know, whether you move away or step aside saying you know, okay, I'm sorry you feel that way. You, you don't know that you have no idea what their intention is and what's in their hand, anything.
3: Right. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and nobody, but at this point, some people came uh, from the platform and also some people, you know, enter, uh, enter the room and I decided to ask for help. So I, I called to them, excuse me, but nobody stopped to answer. Oh, later when I, when I you know told my friends about this, my friends said, Oh, you should be more uh, explicit. You should say, excuse me, uh, I need your help. But um I I I think um at the time I didn't want to say so uh you know manifesting Obviously. things. Cause yeah. I, I thought, oh, uh, I didn't want the man to know I was scared. <laughs> and also, Um, I was afraid if I say, oh, I need your help, but nobody, you know, helped, which was the case. Then afterwards, would the man be even more encouraged uh, to to, to hurt me? Um, So it, it was, but, and my friend said, oh, but he must already knew you were scared anyways and i i thought my friend was was uh, right because uh, afterwards you know after all these people left and the space you know was left with the man me alone again i um i you know i felt like i need to say something to break the silence i didn't know what to say so i just say take care because i thought uh, he probably had some mental health issue and the man said, oh, take care. You must be scared. You're blind, you cannot see. Is this Mm. a scary situation for you? (laughs) Oh my God. Like the more you talk like that, you know, the the more scared I I felt. But I Mm. I try not to show that, Um, but it's really devastating. Yeah, but uh, fortunately nothing happened at last. I think he left for the platform later, um, but I was not aware because I couldn't see where, where he went. Uh, then after a while, Eric came back. <laughs> so, and all the way back, that even with Eric, I found myself like highly alert to the surroundings. Yeah, I like if like when people talked about something. If it's not absolutely conventional or (laughs) quiet, I would feel uh, really scared because the people like just beside me on on the train, someone said, oh, the hardship I experienced uh, were far more than what you had. And, you know, they would just have had some yeah. conversation but yeah. that kind of conversation made me feel nervous you know Yeah. Yes. and I when I waited on the platform I was thinking oh I need to stay away from the track like what yep. if somebody from behind pushed me so you know you had a lot of a lot of you know sauce mm-hmm. there
1: because well, no, I,
3: I saw that I was a little bit traumatized.
1: Of course, of course you were, understandably so. And especially because you've, if you've gone years using public transportation and not had uh, scarring experiences, if you will, um, especially violent ones or where you felt like your safety was threatened and you were alone and isolated and all these different things, if you never experienced that, that could change in one night because of this one experience.
3: Exactly, exactly. Because before all my experience was quite good. Like Mm -hmm. the people I met on TTC subway station, they were usually quite friendly and many of them would offer to help. So that positive experience actually often uh, encouraged me to come out uh, to have an active social life. But uh, yeah, that evening changed me a little bit, but, but I hope it, it could go away as quickly as possible, I, I mm-hmm. wish. Um, yeah, I, I remember I had some fears to come out to walk even in my neighborhood in 2020 when uh, the anti-Asian racism, you know, those hate incidents occurred in Canada and, and in the U.S. Uh, you you heard the news reports and I felt you know so unsafe to walk outside. But uh, now I'm okay. I I you know it it it's gone. So I hope yeah. this little trauma can 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 go away.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate yeah, but- because these things can happen anywhere right at a workplace waiting in line right. for groceries in transit and I think we have to put it in context um, are they gonna happen are they scary you darn right there I don't care who you are um, and and even for the people as you said do I scream out I need help do I really need to help this person struggling on, the, on their own obviously um, maybe they just want to vent but that's not what I've been put on the planet here to do is take people's people's abuse but to come up with the right methodology for any given situation, you can't. Like, you don't know. And the next thing you think you have it in hand, well, I know not to inflame the person or whatever. I have got a bit of self-defense with my cane and all that. But you really never know what's going to happen. And all you can do is do the best you can in the moment but not want to be shaken to where you can't function. Like Mm -hmm. you said, you had those fears before, um, and you got past it. I remember being afraid of of the subway at one point because there was someone going around Toronto shoving people in front of trains. And the only thing I could do, and it, it dawned on me, is don't stand right next to the tracks, which for me is what I've always liked to do because when a train comes in, it's easier to find the darn door. Right, right. But... I had to change that practice a little bit, but also anchor myself. Yeah. And not to be so paranoid that anyone coming up, good morning, sir, you know, like that kind of thing. It'd scare me. And But you do have to think about it.
1: The anxieties that come with these experiences, you know, it's e- perhaps easy to just be like, okay, well... Hopefully it goes away or, you know, nothing else has happened, so maybe it's not warranted, but it's just not the case. and especially It's life
2: experience. It is, and because of our
1: vulnerabilities uh, of as being people with disabilities, as not having much other choice, especially, right? Like, I can't just get in my own car, in my own privacy and and oh, safety and get out there, right? Like, that's just and not an option there can for be a me. Problem.
2: You stop for a light, someone can jump in your car and of hurt you. Of course, but like, so that just, paranoia
1: so can things, get... Right? Really right. overwhelming, and the anxiety yeah. can really get, get overwhelming. But young, the the positive, I guess, or the relatability is that we can understand. Like we can understand what you're going through. I yes. can understand, especially from um, and a minority point of view as well. So exactly. there's a lot of benefits to you having shared this with us, and thank you for doing that.
3: Sure, exactly, because it really made me feel for the people, yes. other people whose uh, who's you know, safety is threatened just because of their origin or race In or, color, you or know religion. religious religious uh, beliefs. Like you know. yeah, the the Jewish students on campus right now or the Muslims after 911. Right. like i've i I feel for them because I remember yeah. that that fears on my mind that's it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, the vulnerables really need well, people, yeah. and to it can stand happen to anybody, to, can't yeah it? protect like, you their their know I'm safety.
2: I, I know I'm a male, but I'm a big black male who can easily be deemed as threatening in some way, too. And I can always get that feeling from people. They're uncomfortable or they think Mm
1: -hmm. negative
2: things. So I think we all have that. And and in a very diverse community like Toronto, um, unfortunately, where you think, oh, maybe it's not going to be here. Maybe it's rural, small town, so and so. Uh, Mm -hmm. No, don't don't be so quick to point.
1: There's also the freedom of expression part of it, too. And people are out there and... They might be spitting whatever kinds of stuff they want to just because they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much, Young. I appreciate, as always, the vulnerable conversations you're willing to have on the show. And we'll chat with you next month.
3: Thank you. Bye
1: for now. Young Wong joins us on the third Tuesday of every month. That's when we catch her. Uh, she's a blogger, an advocate, of course, and she's got a lot of stories to tell us and to debrief about afterwards. We have our Voices segment on the third Tuesday of every month also. That's after the break. Today, Know Your Rights contributor Danielle McLaughlin is joining us to talk a little bit about her career and everything that she's been up to for the last however many decades. We'll be right back.
0: It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute.
1: Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, and your favorite podcast platform. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. live on AMI-tv. Catch us there or anytime you want on your favorite podcast platform. Kels, we're getting to one of our favorite monthly segments.
2: So we, last week announced one year being on the TV side, but we know the show and many of you out there who are newer to us are saying, yeah, that's great, one year on TV, but there's a lot more history with the program as we talked about last week and and, mm-hmm. and we make reference to all the time on the show. Voices is our segment to hear some of the voices that you hear on the network in different forms, but I'd like to, through this year, kind of bring some of us back to basics with voices and speak to some of our contributors, main reporters, people who have been involved with the show. Um, so a little series starting here, uh, we're, we're going to bring some of them on and, and make a focus this year, a point of getting into some of the conversations. As we do with our voice segment, uh, we like to hear about people's passions, drives, and any comments that they feel are important out there. Today we're joined by our Know Your Rights contributor, Danielle McLaughlin. Danielle, welcome back. We had you on yesterday, but today, a little different feel to the segment.
7: Well, thank you so much. I'm very flattered to have been invited to come back. You know, it's one thing to be invited. It's much greater to be invited back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always feel that way when people don't say, don't let the door hit you especially in the or, hey, after We'll the see f- you time.
7: <laughs> the very you know? next day. What's your hurry? Especially, yeah. <laughs> especially after
2: I've been into their buffet or something. Um, Danielle, you've been with us literally from day one of this program. Um, you just nice. we started on a Monday. Danielle was there talking. Oh, you're right. I would love to go back even further as we introduce people to you who might be saying, so why did you find this lady? What brought her to being on the show? <laughs> You've done many things over your life. Can you tell us about some of them?
7: Well, I've had a, uh a very checkered career it, it it looks like i could never hold a job but actually i i <laughs> hung out in many of these things either simultaneously or for a lot longer th- than it looks um i started out as a dancer and i uh, sent megan a, a photograph of myself uh, as as a dancer and I, I caution you this is i while it's black and white they had invented color TV at the, <laughs> the color,
1: color <laughs> photography at the time. Is this because I said many decades before the break?
2: That's no, exactly it. Many <laughs> yeah. many
1: decades before. <laughs>
2: Danielle, can you describe so, that picture?
1: Yes,
7: it's a black and white photograph of um, me in my uh, youth. Uh, I am in performing a leap in front of a mirror so in the mirror you can see the front of me uh and the photograph takes a photograph of the back of me so you get two two aspects at once and i'm in mid-air in a kind of um what's an arabesque leap uh situation um and so i i spent a fair bit of time Dancing, and um, I also taught movement uh, largely to classical musicians because um, my family was very involved with music, and I began to realize that many people were suffering from um, uh, overuse syndromes because they just to put it mildly, they hadn't warmed up, and most. Uh, classical musicians aren't even aware that this is a physical thing. I mean we had a kind of taped uh, time left stage stage supervisor. So this uh, I worked in the same lab where my husband was a graduate student, and uh, it was a, a lab studying regeneration of animal tissues. And in this picture, I uh, both of us are are dressed for surgery. So we've got caps, uh gowns, we've got masks. Um there is a um a big microscope in the background and a dissecting microscope in the foreground. There are bottles and jars and pipettes and, you know, a typical biology lab setting. Again, It's a black and white photograph. Hmm. I sense Hmm. a a trend here. (laughs) A bit of a pattern. (laughs) Yes. But uh, I had the great privilege of working in that lab and uh, co-publishing nine scientific papers um, with Professor Liversage and and some others. And I I just would like to mention that another graduate student in that lab, um, Dr. Catherine Silphidis, she was just Kathy at the time, has gone on to be funded by the foundation uh, um, fighting blindness, blindness. Um, and she has been looking at regeneration of retinal cells in uh, a particular species of fish, zebrafish, huh. um, uh, in, in and continues to look at you know how um, the studies that were initiated all those years ago in regeneration can contribute to uh, we hope one day um, you know. A, a, assisting people who suffer from retinal uh, disorders. So, you know, while we were looking at spinal cord um, and limb regeneration in, in that photograph, um, it, this this study has continued in all sorts of ways by some very wonderful people who, who came out of that lab. So uh, after I, um, at, when Professor Liversage was about to retire, I thought, I think I need to find something uh, else to do. I'd been there <laughs> for uh, 10 years nearly. And I, uh, a friend of mine told me that there was a position at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And I had always been very interested in rights and freedoms. very interested had a second wind. We mm-hmm. are him and uh, my grandmother. Now, my grandparents, my father's parents, had come as refugees from um, what is uh You know, had real, but he won and which was states because my parents, a victim That'll look at besides size. Interesting to meet Liberty Reportive. Within, I think there were forty or so people on, but there were a lot of um, politicians. And I was reminded when, um, sadly, Ed Broadbent passed away this past week, that I had met him. Uh, he was a Charming and kind person. I had met uh, Stanfield, Robert Stanfield, a name that you don't hear very much any longer, but he both he and Ed Broadbent have been called the finest prime ministers Canada never had. Um, they, they were uh, leaders of the opposition and they were people who were true gentlemen. At a time when leaders of the opposition were not people who hated the people in government, uh-huh. they were very concerned about policy. They had a very cordial and civil relationship with one another. There, there are photographs, for example, of Ed Broadbent and uh, Brian Mulrooney. Ed Broadbent for the NDP. Brian Mulrooney was a, a Tory. Um, you know, sort of playfully making fun of each other, very friendly. Um, you know, I I got to meet. Some really you know, wonderful politicians who really looked at policy and never at ad hominem things. one of my very favorite people who's sadly also passed away was uh, Alan Blakeney, who was the the former uh, premier of saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and he was I think I had a bit of a crush on him, and one one time he came into the office. And um, I said, oh, Mr. Blakeney, it's always so nice to see you when you're in Toronto. And he looked at me sort of suspiciously. He said, are you running for office?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair question. <laughs> uh, Danielle, th- you've obviously done so much. Um, we don't have too much more time with you, but I'm curious about the Issues, and we talk about this, you know, weekly with you on Know Your Rights, yes. you bring up issues that are important to you. But just overall, for people to get a bigger a picture of who you are, what's important to you?
7: Well, I think that freedom of expression remains one of the the, the prime issues in my in my focus. Um, you know, we're at a very tough time right now where people are, are being, um, you know, brought into scrutiny for what they are saying. There, you know, people are are saying phrases like "free Palestine," and that's considered by some people to be hate speech. By other people, it's considered to be ordinary um, political speech. And I'm very concerned about freedom of expression in this country, and particularly about efforts here and in other places, our neighbors to the south, to ban books, to quell speech, to keep people from getting into respectful discussions and arguments because there's such a fear that, um, you know, in disagreeing, we could end up, you know, in violence. And somebody wrote a book that uh, I I quite like the title of, which is Argument is Not Abuse. You know, you can argue with people on a very um, civil uh, level without you know resorting to anything abusive or ad hominem. To me, this is one of my huge issues. And of course, disability rights. I am and have been since I was a young kid, very concerned about the fact that life is made unnecessarily difficult for people living with disabilities. And there are solutions that... Um, not only work for people with disabilities, but as soon as you create a solution for a person with a a disability, you're actually creating a solution for everybody. And, you know, I, I continue to focus on this area in my life.
2: Danielle, what's your favorite way to spend a day? Swimming. (laughs) (laughs) That we were discussing I, the other day, that you were probably—you no were chipping through the ice with an auger and stuff, huli was probably well, standing well, there did, working out I did your the swimming polar spot. Polar bear
7: dip on the first of January, oh, for Kelly. Sakes. Um, <laughs> this this year it wasn't so bad. Last year when my granddaughter and I went in, there was so much ice and yes. and it had rather sharp edges that when we got out, of course our legs were utterly numb. But we looked down and realized our legs were bleeding because the ice had cut us. Not and you wouldn't year, feel year. it. <laughs> we didn't not not for oh. you know about 10 minutes and then oh my but this year it was you know a, a balmy two degrees in the water so um but that was fun but uh, i i really do enjoy swimming and gardening and spending time with you guys it's a, one of my favorite things to do wow that made oh. it to top
1: three so sweet oh yes <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, Danielle, I think that was one of the things that we knew as you came on board here, the things you've just discussed. And if you would, what was the selling fact to make you come on and speak here? Again, we had about 30 seconds to be a part of the show for that day one, not knowing what to expect.
7: Well, Kelly, meeting you was a joy, I have to tell you. you were uh, it, When Kevin Philippa uh introduced us, I thought, I like this guy. Um, and I had just retired from my uh, teaching position with Canadian civil liberties. And I thought, well, now how do I go about getting out the word about rights and freedoms? And then given this opportunity and and you're welcome, I thought, I think this is what I'm going to be doing now. <laughs> and it was really eight years a later. A pleasure.
2: Yeah. Oh, Danielle. Danielle, that's beautiful. And what you bring to the show, the the knowledge, the advisement, the guests, everything for us is tremendous. Thank you for letting people hear mm-hmm. some other things about you and that other side that we don't get a chance to share with our, our viewers and listeners. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you Monday. Thank
1: you.
7: Thank you so much. And I'll have a guest for you on Monday.
2: Our Voices segment, folks, we do this on the third Tuesday of the month, um, so please join us when you can. As I mentioned, we're going to go through a series and visit with some of our contributors, community reporters that have been with us for for a while. And Danielle McLaughlin does our Know Your Rights on Mondays and uh, was a, a day oneer. Literally for the
1: program. Mm -hmm. That's Voices. We really look forward to it on a monthly basis. After the break, we're wrapping up the show, finding out what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, the Wednesday morning edition of the live TV show. And I'll be telling you about why it may be a good idea for you to stop making your bed in the morning. That is, if you already started. Be right back.
0: We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break.
1: back as we wrap up today's edition of kelly and ramia again i remind you that you can listen to the show on your favorite podcast platform Just search for kelly and ramia you'll find us on the accessible media inc feed and that's wherever you listen to podcasts also to make it easier for you to share we have it the shows segmented out for you daily so you can just grab your favorite chunk listen to it share it distribute so fun also the full show podcast is always available as well on pod and that one includes a vanity card at the end it's just an exclusive message from someone from the team all right kels what's coming up on now with dave brown that's of course our morning show TV, 9 a.m eastern time every weekday dave brown and the crew hang out together for two hours and they got lots of content coming your way
2: Yeah, kick things off at 9 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. January is Alzheimer's Awareness Month in Canada. Dave will be speaking to Dr. Nicole Anderson from the Kimmel Center for Brain Health and Wellness with some tips to reduce the risks of dementia. Journalist Arnold Kopecky will talk about the ongoing drought issues many areas in North America are experiencing right now and its impact, of course, on the environment. Community reporter Amy Amante, uh, she'll be on from Vancouver, of course, with an update on the ongoing consultations, uh, developing those floating bus stops out there that are in the North Shore area. So that's their show, starting at 9 a.m., also available via podcast, uh, tomorrow's edition.
1: Yep, looking forward to uh, the rest of the week and what they have planned on their show. Here is um, one reason why you may want to stop making your bed in the morning. I mean, that is for those of you who already make your beds. I'm not going to fall into that category anyway. So it's basically an encouragement never to make my bed again. So even if you live by this yourself. This reinforces it. Obviously. Even yeah. if you live by yourself, you're never sleeping alone. woo mysterious. Every night, millions of microscopic sightless arachnids called dust mites emerge from our mattresses and bedsheets crawling over our unconscious forms in search of tasty flakes of shed skin. Yuck. There's no getting around with these critters. They're virtually everywhere in Canada, indoors and outdoors, but they especially favor our beds and mattresses, experts say, potentially giving us another excuse not to make our beds in the morning. Although they're harmless to most humans, dust mite allergies, this is what's new to me in this aspect, uh, are very common. If you have a chronically blocked up nose, a persistent cough or asthma, it might be because you're breathing in microscopic bug poop. The reason we're allergic to dust mites is because of all the feces and protein coming off of those dust mites. And here's how you can reduce the numbers at home. Okay, you ready? Obviously, stop making your bed. Number one advice. (laughs) Anyway, they're meant to be a Beds are thought to be the primary place dust mites gather in our homes and these uh, gross dust mites like these warm and humid crevices with plenty of food and beds are a perfect candidate for that. They also like humid environments and they're happiest when they're in warm, humid areas. So anything you can do to decrease that humidity will provide them from thriving and multiplying as quickly. So leaving your bed unmade, is uh, basically like exposing them to less air and that will work out so they won't be as happy. Also, don't leave your blankets and sheets in a clump at the foot of your bed because that's pretty gross as well for the dust mites to hide in. And wash your bed clothes, wash your blankets. Also they say get one of these um, mattress covers, use pillow covers because that's very helpful as well. Oh, we we'll learn something new every day while in the midst Don't of the Don't make your bed and out. run
2: your fan all the time yeah, over it to blow them stop out of there to keep these it cool. Dust mite
1: poops and getting allergic. Well,
2: just think of it. It's recycled skin of yours, anyway.
1: Yeah, oh, well, I guess it's good for somebody, not for me, right? On tomorrow's show, it's the <laughs> Wednesday edition of Kelly and Ramia. JJ Hunt, our audio describer, is going to tell us about the Tamil Hindu festival called Thaipusam.
2: Uh, CCB Toronto Visionaries chapter is turning 10 this year. Community reporter Stephen Ricci will be here to tell us all about their birthday celebrations next month.
1: Join us back 2 p.m. live for Kelly and Romeo.
2: Well, now here's some disclosure you may or may not want. That's for sure. This picture you may not enjoy. I'm giving you the warning. So we talk about different foods, different times of year, things we like or, or don't like. A lot of stuff nice and light and maybe more non-heated foods in the summer. Just too hot to do that. Maybe salads. Maybe a lot more fruit for sure, especially with so many of the markets available up here in Canada at that time. But my mother used to say to my father and I, who used to have our sports watching, you know, sometimes you'd get a plate of cheese, Polish sausage and crackers, that kind of That was my dad's favorite with some fruit. And sometimes we'd sneak one little sweet thing in. Maybe maybe if we had tarts or something like that. One. But usually on a Saturday when I returned from being at the blind school all week in the wintertime. Because my mother said none of this in the summertime. Maybe depending on if we had visitors from out of town, the United States. We have some friends that would come up and visit. We would have, my dad and I, and my brother would come over sometimes prepare it sometimes him and dad would work on it and sometimes his mom would would make it up and this was not a food of my mom's pork hocks loved pork hocks i used to love them so much i'd go back to the blind school tell all the kids about it oh i had pork hocks this weekend oh it was so what's pork hocks what is that Ew. oh they call it pig feet i'm not eating the feet off a pig so we would get into this discussion i'd try to explain to them what it was well i got a bunch of the wrestlers interested when I was on the wrestling team and my dad would come on some of our trips as a chaperone and help us out guiding and so on well our coach invited my dad to the year-end party our coach offered up his house and we partied and the request that the students had made the wrestlers was that my dad make up some porcocks, so he did big black pot of them put them in the car drove them from london to Branford. And said, okay, guys, pretty well made up two each. So that's a pile of them. You know, like we we had a bunch in there. Um, Of course, he figured some may not like them. I hate to say it, folks. A bunch of wrestlers, big tough wrestlers, didn't have the nerve of more than four people amongst them to try them out. My dad was frustrated. And, of course, my mother, when my dad brought back a more than half-filled pot to London, said you're surprised? Ha 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 ha. And my dad, of course, was frustrated because that was the the money and everything like that. And all I could tell him is, well, dad, can you freeze some and I'll eat some on the weekend? (laughs) Lessons learned about food and um, definitely still keep it in my head that I'm supposed to really only eat pork hocks in the wintertime.